Hello, everybody. Welcome or welcome back to the Anne-Marie Podcast. If this is your first time listening, I highly recommend that either after this episode or even right now, you can exit this episode and you can listen to the first two full episodes that I did, which are two main religions and the lie of neutrality. The reason why I always suggest these two first is because they lay a lot of groundwork for topics that I cover in the rest of these episodes. For those of you who are listening who may not be believers, who may not call themselves Christian, or you're not Christian but you're curious about the faith, I would also recommend listening to The Greatest Love Story, His Story. That episode specifically talks more about the gospel that Christians believe why Christians hold to certain principles. So that is why I would suggest that one for you if you're not a follower of Christ. Just some more housekeeping notes. I don't know what episode is coming out next at the time that I'm recording this. I'm going to record two episodes. At this time that I'm recording this, the plan is for me to record two episodes. One talking about my job change. And like I said in my episode about the program change. I want to be able to talk about theology and specifically more on bringing the point of trusting God into that episode. But there are some things I want to do before I actually release that episode. The other episode that I'm recording, which will be this one, is going to be a book review on Chasing Shadows as well as a comparison of three Lynn Austin books that I have read this calendar year in 2022. Also, I do want to do a review on Senator Josh Hawley's book, The Tyranny of Big Tech, but I still have to record that and decide when to put it up. All right, without further ado, let's get into this book review. For the month of September, I read Chasing Shadows by Lynn Austin. This book takes place during World War II, It starts kind of at the beginning before the Nazis took over the Netherlands and then continues on to the end of the war. What was really different about this novel is that there wasn't much of an emphasis on what happened in Auschwitz. A lot of this centered on the people in the Netherlands and what they had to persevere throughout the time of Nazis threatening to come and then eventually coming and taking over. This actually makes me want to at some point do further research into that because of what those in the Netherlands endured even on the farmland territories that the Nazis took over basically. In fact what happened at Auschwitz isn't even really talked about at all. It's mentioned towards the end that the Nazis killed Jews in the camps in Germany, but there isn't much detail given on that, which I thought was very interesting. But I found it really interesting just to see how the people in the Netherlands had to live during this book. This book follows three main female characters. Lena is a wife and mother who has raised her family on the farm. Anz, Lena's daughter, has been wanting to move to Leiden, 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 
I don't know how to pronounce it, L-E-I-D-E-N. I'm guessing the Dutch way to pronounce it would sound more like Leiden, but I'm not positive, which she does, and she moves there before the Nazis take over the Netherlands. And then the third female character that we follow is Miriam, who is a young Jewish violinist, and her and her father immigrated to Holland when the Nazis were first starting to come after the Jews in Germany. They fled into the Holland area, but as you can probably guess, as this book follows throughout World War II, they witnessed not only the invasion of the Nazis in the Netherlands territory, but they witnessed the same cycle of treatment towards the Jews as they had seen in Germany before they fled. During this book, we see just how much these women had to endure. Lena's faith is tested really hard during this time as she faces having to lose not only her oldest daughter, Anz, but also her husband, possibly her son, as the Nazis take him later on towards the end of the book. Probably my favorite character in this whole book was Lena's husband. I'm just going to say Peter. It's spelled differently, but I don't know how it's pronounced in Dutch. I thought he was definitely one of the strongest characters in this entire book. I'll talk a little bit more about him later. I think that what I have to say about him is best left for later than right now as Peter does drive a lot of theological points. Well, I shouldn't say a lot. He drives the main theological point in the story. Lena's daughter, Anz, who is in Leiden, working for a professor and his wife. She ends up going into resistance work when the Nazis take over the Netherlands. I had talked about Miriam later, and she has her whole situation fleeing to the Netherlands and then having to go into hiding once the Nazis invade the Netherlands. So this book basically follows through their journeys. We definitely see Anne's previous doubt of the Christian faith as she has lost her grandmother and she really doesn't want anything to do with the Christian faith when she first leaves home. Throughout this book, we see her faith blossom again as she recalls what she was taught growing up from both her parents and her grandparents about the Bible and the scriptures that she memorized as a child come back to her during World War II. As we read through this book, we see how the lives of Lena, Anz, and Miriam intersect and intertwine. I don't want to give too many more details away as to how that happens. The only thing I really want to make commentary on in here over details about the book and basically what happens, Anz does meet someone in Leiden and after the Nazis invade the Netherlands, he ends up joining the Dutch, the Dutch Nazi party. Basically, he's working with the Nazis in the sense that he is involved with some of the arrests. If you listened to my review on Candle in the Darkness, I talked about how I was not a fan of the romance between Caroline and Christopher, and I wish he would have ended up with Robert. Once Anza's love interest 
decided to work with the Dutch Nazi party to avoid having to go into the camps. Things started happening that I was personally not a big fan of, especially once Anz rediscovers her faith and starts putting her trust and faith in God again. They just seemed unequally yoked and he had didn't really have a faith. She had talked about how she had wanted to share more of her faith with him and she had tried a couple times, maybe one or two times to talk about her faith and just wasn't able to get anywhere with him. Unlike Candle in the Darkness where, quite frankly, I thought Caroline had chosen the loser of the two men who had an interest in her. I thought that Anz ended up making a smart decision here. I thought, biblically speaking, she ended up making the right decision about this guy. This might sound like a spoiler to some of you. I'm saying this because from what I see in chick flicks and even in the Christian film industry, this idea of women following their heart when it comes to love and following the feelings still seems to be used quite often. And this was one book that if you're looking for a story where a woman makes the right decision regarding a man who shows signs of cowardice and isn't focusing on her feelings, this is definitely a good book. Now, this is not the main aspect of this book. This is not a main plot. It plays into the main plot a little bit. But if you're really looking on a book, especially if you're a mom of I'm going to say girls in their late teens and 20s. You want your daughter to read a book that has a little bit of a romance story where the female makes the right decision and it's not necessarily what our culture is trying to tell us or even what the culture of the church is trying to tell us more and more about love and romance and all the fluffy feelings that come with it. This is a book that you want them to read. It has other good things in them for them to learn too, but this is definitely a book I recommend if you want something that has a little bit of the romance, but shows young girls that they need to be smart about who they marry. Because I don't think that is an idea or a message that's pushed in mainstream culture. And I believe this book did come out in 2012. No, 2021. Yes, 2021. So I can definitely tell a difference between the way Lynn Austin wrote Chasing Shadows with Anz and Eric's relationship versus the way she wrote Candle in the Darkness back in 2002 with the relationship between Caroline and Christopher. I thought that was really well done. And this is one I would definitely recommend to women in their late teens and even into their 20s to read. Now I will talk about Lena's husband, Peter who drives the main theological point. And Lena's dad, Opa is what they call him, does this too. But Peter tends to really, I don't want to say be tough on her, but he tends to really drive this point home to Lena and doesn't, he doesn't let her feelings dictate what he needs to do in these situations as the Nazis invade the Netherlands. Peter's point is, really almost the same as what Caroline Fletcher discovers during the Civil War in Candle in the Darkness. And he is always pointing Lena to the Lord and tells Lena that she has to put him 
and their daughter Anne's in the Lord's hand, and that she has to trust the Lord throughout the circumstance. This is a lesson that Lena learns throughout this whole book, trying to put her trust in the Lord, trying to put her kids in the hands of the Lord, trying to put her husband ultimately in the hands of the Lord. Peter reminds her as all the evil of the Nazi party seems to be taking over the Netherlands and destroying the lives of many people, that the Lord is calling him and Lena to lean on him and be his hands and feet and to serve the Lord by fighting back against this evil. Similar to what we saw in Candle in the Darkness between the North and the South and their theology, well, I don't know if you would call the South theology theology. It seemed more like meology as I read it. We get a little bit of the ideology that the Nazis push, just a little bit. It's not explored in a ton of detail, but they do acknowledge that their ideology is evil. And there is an acknowledgement that as Christ followers, they need to be pushing back against that evil, which is similar to what we read in The Candle in the Darkness between the North and South, how the South wanted to continue its, I guess you could call it its tradition of slavery and the gruesome treatment that they did of their slaves and their gruesome attitudes to them, quite frankly. There's also a similarity between Caroline and Anne's both working in the resistance. I will point out a difference is that Anne feels like she has to work for the resistance. She can't just sit idly by and allow these Nazis to dictate what she has to believe and what she has to do. While Caroline Fletcher tends to struggle a little bit as she's still figuring out her faith, she still struggles with should she go against the South and help the North end slavery? Or does she sit idly by? You see hesitation with Caroline, but, but you don't see it with Anne's. I would definitely give Chasing Shadows a five stars. I don't know if I like it more than Wonderland Creek. I'll just be honest, Wonderland Creek is more enjoyable, I would say, just because of the intense, almost emotional ride that Chasing Shadows takes you on. It's not a book that I would want to read over and over and over and over and over again, but I would definitely rate it as a five-star read and a must-read for anyone who is proclaiming to be a Christian. I think this is a challenging book to read. It'll challenge you in your walk with God and your faith and the way you view the world. One point that I forgot to talk about earlier is that Along with the lesson of trusting God and putting even the people we love into his hands, a big point that I have heard is that times of war and even of civil unrest bring to light the truth that I believe even the church just ignores and sweeps beneath the rug. And that is that our last breath is in God's hands. God is the one who ordains our days. God is the one who conceived each of us in our mother's womb. God is the one who knitted us in that womb. God is the one who essentially keeps our bodies alive. And in times of peace, we tend to forget about all that because we don't have a physical imminent threat of death on us. But the reality is that 
our days are numbered. This is another area, even with church theology, that I think is really lacking. We don't want to give our lives over to God. We don't want to acknowledge that despite taking care of our bodies, eating healthy, exercising regularly, and I'm not saying that you shouldn't be trying to do that at all. I am just saying that we shouldn't be doing it out of fear. And I definitely don't think that you should try to control everyone else's eating habits. I'm just going to say that I don't think you should try to control everyone else's eating and health habits either. Because our health is ultimately in the Lord's hands, not our own, I think that we need to hold loosely to, honestly, the people around us. Enjoy them while they're here and love them while they're here on this earth, but don't let that love and that relationship that God has ultimately let you cultivate with that person, don't let that lead you to holding on to them so tightly that you are not willing to put their health and well-being in the Lord's hands. I think I had said earlier that I was going to do a bit of a comparison between the Lynn Austin books I have read, and I mentioned one of the other ones, Candle in the Darkness, which I do recommend. I don't really like the romance story, as I said earlier, but I think as far as the theology surrounding the Civil War itself and the ideology at that point in time, I thought it was really good and well-written. The second book I read was Wonderland Creek, which was definitely the most enjoyable of the three books that I read, even though I would probably have to rank it at a 4.5, which is lower than what I ranked Chasing Shadows at. I would still say this would be one I'd want to read again. It has good mystery, the kind of romance, love story, even though it has some annoying parts. I think the annoying parts are meant to make the end of the story really good. And it has really good faith content in it as well. Ironically, we do get some flashbacks to the Civil War in Wonderland Creek as one of the characters was a former slave during the 1850s. Wonderland Creek takes place during the 1930s. I think the Pack Horse Librarian program was really interesting to read about and the characters in that one were really intriguing. Chasing Shadows, as I said earlier, because it takes place in World War II, it's very emotionally heavy, I would say. It has higher stakes in this one. Not that there aren't high stakes in Candle in the Darkness. There are high stakes, but it seems like they're almost heightened during World War II. Similar to my experience in reading Candle in the Darkness, with Chasing Shadows, there was a point in the book to where I almost had to keep reading to know what, how it was going to end. I had the same experience with Candle in the Darkness. I wanted to know how things were going to resolve. So I had to race to the finish line with that one as well. With Wonderland Creek, I didn't necessarily feel that way. Like, I have to know, I have to know, I have to know to the point where I kept having to read. It was one where you can kind of sit and read. And yes, you want to keep reading, but it's one that you can put down if you have to and pick back up again. Since this episode is getting very long, I will do a quick ranking of the three books as well as how many stars I would give them. My least favorite out of the three is obviously Candle in the Darkness. I've toyed with the ranking and I would 
probably give this one more of a four just for the theological content itself in this book. Granted, the romance was not very good in this one. Aside from that, it was a good read. And I do plan on reading the next one in that series as my next Jane Austen, as my next Lynn Austen book, hopefully in 2023, maybe. I still have a freebie spot for my sixth fiction book to read in 2023. So that's probably going to be what I end up reading. My second favorite of the three is Chasing Shadows. And I would rate this at a five star because I thought the story was really well told. The theology was tied really well in the story. And I highly recommend it to anyone who is proclaiming to be a Christian. And then my favorite of the three would definitely have to be Wonderland Creek. This one is, was a little bit lighter, not as heavy as far as the time period and all the danger that was going around, even though there's still danger and mystery in this one. But I thought this Wonderland Creek was really fun and definitely a book I would want to reread at some point. You know what? I would actually probably give Wonderland Creek five stars as well because that was really well written. And that's it for today. One last announcement that I forgot at the beginning of this episode is that I am going to try to get an episode out every other Tuesday with my work schedule, which could soon change a bit again. I just don't know if it's possible for me to get one out every week. And I don't want to promise that to any of you regular listeners out there if I don't know if I can deliver on that promise. Well, that's it for this episode. You can follow the Anne Marie podcast at anchor.fm slash Anne-M-Riddle. You can also follow this podcast at Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Chromecast Player. You can also get updates on this podcast on Parlor at capital A, lowercase m, Riddle 8. Again, that is capital A, lowercase m, Riddle 8. Thank you for tuning into this episode and enjoy the rest of your day.